Good evening. It's good to be together tonight. Appreciate this time that we're able to spend in worship together. As Ben alluded to just a few moments ago, there are some other things that you could be doing besides being here, spending time in worship, spending time in Bible study. And so I want to commend you for being here tonight. Certainly appreciate your presence. Tonight, I want us to spend just a few minutes thinking about a very popular teaching thinking about a very popular doctrine, it's commonly called once saved, always saved. The technical term for it is the perseverance of the saints. I want us to spend some time thinking about the accuracy of that doctrine, thinking about if that's something that's actually reflected in the pages of God's Word. Before we do that, though, let's ask the question, what is once saved, always saved? You might look at that title and think that it's kind of self-explanatory, and maybe in some ways it is, but I want to show you a few quotes here over the next few minutes that talk to us and show us what we mean by the perseverance of the saints or once saved, always saved. Here's a quote from allaboutgod.com. It says, the Bible teaches once saved, always saved. That we can be saved once and for all only through a repentant, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Once a person has accepted Christ as Savior, they may wonder if it's possible to lose that salvation. What if they commit a sin? What if they commit a lot of sins? What if they do something very, very wrong? Is it possible to be saved and then lose that salvation? Here's the answer they give to that question. Fortunately, the answer is a resounding no. Once a person has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, he or she is forever saved. Can you see the picture that's painted of that doctrine just in that quote? Here's another quote from Matt Slick, who's a very well-known Calvinist. He says, you cannot lose your salvation because the Father is elected, the Son is redeemed, and the Holy Spirit has applied salvation those thus saved are eternally secure. They are eternally secure in Christ. And then another quote, the last quote from Joe McKeever. He says, can you unfry an egg? Then after being saved, genuinely forgiven and accepted and transformed by the Holy Spirit of God into something far different from what you were, more than any hen's egg ever dreamed possible, you cannot undo it. Once saved, always saved. Notice how bold he is. To say otherwise and to preach it might be something akin to insulting the Holy Spirit. And so this is something that people take very seriously. You can see the picture that's painted of this doctrine, this teaching. Once saved, always saved. The perseverance of the saints. It's the idea that once you have been genuinely converted to Christianity, once you have genuinely accepted Christ into your life and received His gift of salvation, you can never lose that gift of salvation. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you choose to walk away from Him. It doesn't matter what kind of sins you commit. It doesn't matter what kind of life you live. Once you're saved, you are always saved. Now, what I want us to do over the next few minutes is what we always try to do is to turn to the Word of God. What do the Scriptures have to say about this? There are a lot of sincere people who believe once saved, always saved. There are a lot of churches, there are a lot of preachers who propagate once saved, always saved. And if you think about it, maybe it's kind of an attractive doctrine if we're looking from the outside in that once I receive my gift of salvation, there's nothing that I can do to lose it. Here's the question I want us to think about, and it's the question where we're going to spend most of our time. Is the doctrine of once saved, always saved true according to the teachings of 
the New Testament? That's an important question for us to be able to answer. Not just for our own personal knowledge, not just for our own personal well-being, but I guarantee you know religious people who buy into this doctrine. What if somebody were to bring this up in a conversation with you? What if somebody were to ask you, what do you believe about once saved, always saved? What does the Bible teach on that? What does the church of Christ believe about that? What would your response be? Would you be prepared to give an answer that is biblical? The most important part of that question is, is this true according to the teachings of the New Testament? So let's take some time to look at some passages in the New Testament to see whether once saved, always saved is a valid teaching, something that we should propagate. I want us to begin in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has a lot of bearing on this conversation, I believe. Of course, the book of Hebrews was written to Christians, Jewish Christians, who were struggling in their faith. They were living in the new covenant of Jesus, yet were being tempted to go back to the old covenant of Moses. So the Hebrew writer writes to them to say, you need to stick with Jesus. Because Jesus is greater, Jesus is better, Jesus is superior than anything that you could leave him for, anything that you find throughout the Old Testament scriptures. So let's look at a few verses here. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Hebrew writer says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Of course, there he's talking about the Word of God. What happens when we don't pay attention to the words that we hear from the scriptures, the words of God? He says the, the warning here, the consequence, the possibility is that we can drift away from it. It's like taking a piece of wood. Maybe you've done this before. You're standing by a creek and the water was running pretty fast. You take a piece of wood and you throw that piece of wood into the water and it just slowly yet steadily drifts away from you down the creek. And it gets farther and farther and farther. What happens when we don't pay close attention to what we've heard from the scriptures, there's a possibility that we can drift away from it just like a piece of wood going down the creek. What about Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 12, just about a chapter later, where the Hebrew writer says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Question number one, is it possible for someone who has been genuinely converted to Christianity to turn away from that endeavor, to turn away from that commitment, and to develop an evil and unbelieving heart? It seems that is possible. In Hebrews 3 and verse 12, he says, you need to be careful. You need to watch yourself. You need to pay attention to what's going on in your life because there's a possibility that you could develop a heart that's not committed to Christ, but a heart that's evil and unbelieving that will cause you to what? What's the warning here? It can cause you to fall away from the living God. You were connected to the living God, but when you develop an evil, unbelieving heart, it causes you to fall away from the living God. Then looking at Hebrews 3, verses 16 through 18, the Hebrew writer's talking about the Israelites when they came out of the land of Egypt. He's talking about commenting on the Exodus as they begin to wander in the wilderness. Here's what he says. He says, For who were those who heard 
and yet rebelled. There's some key words here. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Talking about the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But to those who were disobedient, so we see they were unable to enter the rest, unable to enter into the promised land because of unbelief. They heard, yet they rebelled, they sinned, they were disobedient. They continued to live in unbelief and as a result were not able to enter into what the Hebrew writer calls rest. The promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. So the question at the bottom of the screen is what's the point for us as Christians? It's separated by a chapter division. But here's the next verse when you read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. What happens when we hear the word of God just like the Israelites, yet we're rebellious, we're sinful, we're disobedient, we persist in unbelief? He says you're going to go through, experience the same consequence that they experience. He says we need to fear, have a respect for God while this promise of entering his rest still stands, lest any of you Christians should seem to have failed to reach it. What is our promised land? Our promised land is heaven. There the threat is if we don't continue in fear of God, then we will fail to enter our eternal rest, spending an eternity with our Creator and our Savior. The same idea is in Hebrews 4 and verse number 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then we go to our scripture reading. From Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6, he says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Notice here you have someone who was genuinely converted to Christianity. We're talking about someone who has been enlightened. Someone who has tasted the heavenly gift. Shared in the Holy Spirit. Tasted the goodness of the Word of God. And the powers of the age to come. But yet what did that person choose to do? They chose to fall away from the Lord. And he says as a result it's impossible to renew them to repentance. It's not saying it's impossible for someone who's fallen away to return back to the Lord. It's the case that sometimes 1 Timothy 4 and verse number 2 happens. People's consciences become seared with a hot iron. It's not that they can't return. It's that they won't return. By their own choice and by their own decision. Here the Hebrew writers talking about Christians who have genuinely been converted to Jesus. Genuinely been saved by Jesus. They fell away. And as a result were crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm. And holding Him up to contempt. What about Hebrews 10 and verse number 26. Where the Bible says if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Here the Hebrew writer pictures somebody who really doesn't care what the Word of God has to say. I'm going to continue sinning deliberately. I know it's wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't really care about what God thinks about my life or how I'm choosing to live. What's the consequence of that? If we go on sinning deliberately, knowing that it's wrong, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, 
The Bible says there no longer will remain a sacrifice for sins. Our forgiveness will be taken away. But then let's step outside of the book of Hebrews for just a moment to Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What happens when you have a Christian who all of a sudden decides to be unforgiving? Jesus says, if we don't forgive others, he doesn't specify whether we're talking about Christians or non-Christians. I think it's assumed here that this is somebody who is within the realm of God's forgiveness. If we decide to be unforgiving to other people, then God is going to be unforgiving to us. There, Jesus himself pictures someone falling away from the Lord. What about 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 and 2? Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received and which you stand by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. He says, here's the gospel. Here's the good news message. I preached it to you. You're receiving it. You're standing in it. You're being saved by it. What a message of good news that is. But then notice that their salvation by the gospel is conditional. It's not once saved, always saved. But they're going to be saved by the gospel if they hold fast. To the word, the gospel that Paul preached to them. There is a possibility that they could believe in vain. Place their trust in Jesus, but then all of that be for nothing. By their own decision to walk away from the Lord. What about Galatians 5 and verse number 4? Where Paul says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Is it possible to be connected to Jesus and then cut away from Jesus? Is it possible to be connected to Jesus and then severed from Christ? In the mind of the Apostle Paul, it was. He says, you are severed from Christ when they continued in their justification of of their new covenant living by going by old covenant standards. Is it possible to live in the grace of God and then fall away from that grace? In Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 4, it is. What about what Peter says in 2 Peter 2 beginning in verse 20? He says, for if after they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Again, notice, just like we saw in Hebrews, these are people who have been genuinely converted to Jesus, who have genuinely accepted Jesus. Here are people who escape the defilements of the world through their knowledge of Jesus Christ. These are people a little bit later in the passage who knew the way of righteousness. They had the holy commandment delivered to them, yet what did they decide to do? They had escaped the world, But then they stepped back into the world and were overcome by the ways of the world. The end result of that, Peter says, is the last state is worse than the first. He says it would be better to never know Jesus than to enter into relationship with Jesus and then walk away from him. You have a very vivid picture of what these people have done at the end of the passage. Have you had a dog do this? A dog throws up and then goes back and eats it? Are you going to give a pig a bath? Probably not. Why? Because they're going to go back in the mud. But that's exactly what these people have done. Just like a 
a dog returning to its own nasty vomit, just like a sow after being washed goes back to the mud. Here we're talking about Christians who were genuinely converted to Jesus, who went back into the world, were overcome by the world, and as a result, were lost. The last state has become worse than the first. 1 John 3, beginning in verse number 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. This is that deliberate sinning that we talked about in Hebrews 10 in verse number 26 where we're choosing to live a life of sin. This is not making a mistake, realizing that mistake, turning away from it, repenting of it, confessing it to God, asking God to forgive us. This is I'm going to live in sin and I don't care who knows it. I'm going to live in sin and I don't care who sees it. If I choose to make a practice of sinning, who do I belong to? In this passage, I don't belong to God. He says, whoever... Christian or non-Christian, this is very open here, isn't it? Whoever makes a practice of sinning belongs to the devil. If you've been born of God, that's not what you're going to be about. That's not what you are going to do. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 5. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. This is speaking to the church at Ephesus, by the way. He says, Jesus tells them, repent, do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you Repent. So Jesus is giving them instruction. He says, you need to remember where you used to be. You need to turn back to me. You need to do a 180. You need to repent. You need to do the works that you used to do before you left your first love. And he says, if you don't, I'm going to remove your lampstand. We know the book of Revelation is a book of symbols. What, what is the symbol of the lampstand in the book of Revelation? If you go back just a little bit to Revelation 1 and verse number 20, the Bible says that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So what's the warning here? What's the consequence if they don't remember, repent, and return to Jesus? Jesus says, I'm going to remove you as one of my faithful churches. I'm going to remove your lampstand. The lampstands are the churches. And so we could insert the word church there. I'm going to remove your church from its place. Unless you repent. This is not talking on the individual level. This is talking about on the collective level. Now there are other passages that we could look at. But do you think we have enough data? Do you think we've seen enough from the word of God to answer this question? Is the doctrine of once saved, always saved true according to the teachings of the New Testament? And I think we were forced to answer that question by saying no. That that is not a true teaching, that is not a biblical doctrine, that is something that is very unbiblical based on the passages that we've seen over the last few minutes. It is not true that you are once saved, always saved. It is not true, regardless of what a religious group might say, regardless of what a preacher might say, it is not true that you can genuinely be converted to Jesus and then never lose that salvation regardless of how you choose to live. But here's the good news. We need to balance out this message, don't we, as we close? It is possible to lose your salvation. I'm afraid when we communicate that sometimes, people hear not it's possible to lose your salvation, but it's probable for you to lose your salvation. That this is something that's going to happen to you. You can expect it to happen. That's not the message that we want to share either. Just like we don't want to share once saved, always saved, we don't want to share 
barely saved as, as we think about that. I think sometimes we preach that. The good news message is we can know that we're saved. 1 John 5 and verse 13 says we can. We can know that we have eternal life. Isn't that a message of good news? In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13. So then the next question is how can we know that? How can we know if we're saved or if we're not saved? Let me give you three passages. Again, there's so much more that we could look at here. But let me give you three passages that are really important to consider. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. If we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. When we choose to walk in the light just like God is in the light... When we're doing the absolute best that we can to be faithful to Jesus, are we going to sin sometimes? Read 1 John chapter 1. You're going to see the very next verse, verse 8, and then a couple verses later, verse 10. If we say we have no sin, then what? We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We're making God out to be a liar. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. The question is, what is the trajectory of our lives? What is the direction of our lives? Am I going in a direction that's towards Jesus, looking to Him, Hebrews 12 and verse 2, or am I going in the direction of sin. If I'm going in the direction of light as opposed to going in the direction of darkness, here's the blessing. The blood of Jesus continually cleanses us of our sin. As we live, as we walk in the light, as we do our best to serve Jesus, His, His blood is continually cleansing us from every single sin that we commit. So I want to ask you, are you walking in the light? What about Revelation 2 and verse number 10? Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Are you living a faithful life to Jesus? Are you doing the best that you can to uphold His commands, to uphold His expectations, to become more like Him in the way that you choose to live on a daily basis? If we can do that until the day that we die, then we'll receive the crown of life, the victory crown, where we'll get to dwell and reign with Jesus throughout all of eternity. What about Hebrews 5 and verse number 9? And being made perfect, it's talking about Jesus. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Are you submitting yourself in obedience to Jesus? If you're living in obedience to Jesus, the Hebrew writer has a message of good news for you. That He is the source of your eternal salvation. And so as a conclusion statement, as we close, as a Christian... It is possible to forfeit your salvation and fall away from God. It's not something that's being taken from you. It's something that you're giving up. It's something that you're forfeiting. The New Testament Scriptures teach us that it is possible to give up our salvation and to drift away from the Lord, to be severed from Christ. But then we need to balance that out. I think in this slide we're striving to have a balance in this view. On the other hand, God does not demand sinless perfection. But he does demand faithfulness and obedience to what he has said through his word. It's possible to give up your salvation. And we need to know that. We need to understand that. That's why we need to pay attention. We need to take care. We need to continue to fear as the Hebrew writer tells us. But God is not demanding you to be perfect. God is not demanding you to be sinless. What he is demanding of each and every one of us is to be obedient to what he has delivered to us in the pages of His Word. And so the question is, are you being obedient to what He's delivered to us in the pages of His Word? If you're not sure, if you have doubts, if you're concerned about your salvation, let's meet those tonight as together we stand and sing.